you kids call rap music. At least that's what it sounds like to this old goat. That's good. That took a lot of practice. I've never heard that song. There once was a man who decided that God was going to bless him daily. And the way that God was going to bless him daily, he wasn't going to read through the Bible in a year like some of us are doing here. He wasn't going to read an entire book of the Bible and then read another book of the Bible. He was going to do this special method where he would just flip open the Bible to anywhere in particular, and then he would touch it. And that verse would be his thought for the day. God was going to speak to him, so he might turn it do that, and then it would say, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thy own understanding. And he would oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that message today. And then the next day he might turn, and he would do the same thing, and he would say, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would oh, thank you, Lord, for that verse. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Then he would flip, say, I have come that you might have life, and life is in me, and life is, oh, Lord, thank you so much. And God continued to speak to this man through one verse at a time, through this beautiful method that the guy had determined was from God himself. But then one day the guy ran into problems. He did this, and he looked, and it said, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went out and hung himself. So he thought, hmm... I don't know, that doesn't sound very good. So he quickly turned the pages and he thought, I need a second verse to today. And he went like this, and then he looked down and it said, Luke 10, 37, Jesus said, go and do likewise. <laughs> so Judas went and hung himself, and then the verse says, go and do likewise. And he quickly realized the weakness and the loophole and the strangeness and the shakiness of finding God's will one verse at a time by taking it out of its context and reading into it what you think it means. And we also run into that danger now with uh, all the things of social media, with, with all the things on Instagram and Facebook. You can see some beautiful memes that have Scripture on them. I mean, I've got a lot of them. I sent them out to people. They're beautiful. There's nothing, nothing wrong with reading a verse that says, for lo, I am with you always until the very end of the ages. Or be strong and courageous, for the Lord thy God is with thee. But we run into danger if that's the only way we hear what the Bible says to us. And so my concern for us, for me included, is that we miss out on the message that God really has when we pull out one verse and say, here's what God is saying to me. In our text today in Jeremiah chapter 29 that Miss Polly read, some of us, is one of those texts. It's a beautiful text. I've used it many times. I've written it in graduation cards. I've written it in people's Bibles. I've probably written it to myself. I've said it out loud to people. It's been copied. It's been put on calligraphy all over the place, but it's never really been clearly understood within its context of Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, as we read through the Bible in a year, for some reason, the lady that put together this reading plan has Jeremiah 26 through 30-something this week, and then next week she has Jeremiah 1 through 25. I don't understand why, but I'm just going to follow it anyway. So as we read about Jeremiah, he's a, 
a very interesting man. And as we pull out the verses where we see what he says, we, we determine that it's not always what we think it means. When we read where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in a future, we think, yes, God has a plan for me that is so good, so clearly this suffering I'm going through, it's going to end soon and then my flourishing will begin. But that's not at all what God was promising to the Israelites and it's not at all what he's promising us today. So let's read parts of Jeremiah 29 and see it in its larger context and perhaps learn and grow from it. So if you would turn in your Bible to Jeremiah 29. Is it all right to read out of my Bible today in church? I'm not hearing any pages. Just... Rustle some paper for me. Make me feel good. That's it. There we go. See, I'm the epitome of shallowness. I just need to have the appearance that you're with me. Jeremiah 29. I'm going to skip a couple verses because they've got a, long, a lot of long names in there and I can't pronounce them right. So I'm going to read verse 1 and then I'm going to skip down to verse 4. So Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and then down to verse 4. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So let me just stop right there. This tells us that what we're going to read starting in verse 4 is a letter that Jeremiah wrote. He's in Jerusalem, and he's writing it to the people who are in exile, the 70 years of captivity, the 70 years of the Babylonian exile, the 70 years of the dysphoria where all the Jews were taken captive from the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom by Nebuchadnezzar, taken to Babylon. That's where we read a lot of Nehemiah, a lot of Hosea, and now we come to Jeremiah in the same time period. So he's saying, these are the words of the letter that I, Jeremiah, wrote from Jerusalem to the exiles, to the priests, to everybody back in Babylon. Down in verse 4. So here's the letter. You can see the little quote mark there, hopefully. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So the thrust of this chapter is not a reminder to you and me that we can escape our problems in our exile, but while we are in the midst of exile, this chapter says, while we are in the midst of exile, while we were somewhere where we don't fully understand why we are there, while things are going on that we don't particularly always like, God is with us in the midst of our problems in the midst of our challenges, in our feelings. It's not that God will bless our plans. It's that as we come in tune with God's plans, then we will be blessed. So we all have plans for our own individual lives, hopes and dreams and aspirations. Each of us would like to accomplish things in our life. And some of us have seen our dreams come to fruition and Other people are still waiting for their dreams to come to fruition and to unfold. And this passage is a message for us because, you see, back in biblical times, God used prophets to send messages to his people. The word prophet is really the word for seer. It's just someone who has a message from God and they share it. It's not always necessarily about the future. It's just a message from God. And this one is obviously from God. Jeremiah is writing this one, but he starts out the letter saying, thus says the Lord. He's writing what the Lord has told him to share. Jeremiah was one of the major prophets that we call the major prophets. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, those are all major prophets. He was also known as the weeping prophet. He was called the weeping prophet for a couple of reasons. One is because he wrote a second book right after this one called Lamentations. And and when you lament something, that means that you're sort of crying over it and you're agonizing over it. And also in chapter 9, verse 1, he says that he he has cried a fountain of tears. And so because of things like this and because that he he laments so much and agonizes in his book so much. One of the, the names for Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And if you read the book of Lamentations, which we will sooner or later, you will hear his anguish and his tears. It's the trait of someone who cares for his people, and he's even chastising his people and saying, return to the Lord, but he's doing it in a spirit of caring and in a spirit of love. His book is 52 chapters long. So it's a long book. It's got encouragement in it. It's got rebuke in it. It's got oracles and visions in it. It's got tears in it. But you will find more than tears. You will find more than pain. And you will find more than convicting them about the evils of Judah. You will find also promises of hope. Hope that's not just found in repenting and returning to God, but hope that is grounded squarely in the amazing grace of God Himself. One of my favorite verses is in Jeremiah, one that I could easily put on a plaque. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, I will put 
my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the essence of what's called the new covenant, that the law is not outside of us on tablets of stone, but that it's written on our hearts. So Jeremiah reads kind of like a notebook or a scrapbook. It's like news clippings. It's not necessarily chronological. It's part sermon and there's satire in there. There's prophecy. There's preaching. He calls for repentance of his people over 100 times in the 52 chapters. He warns them there's judgment coming, but he's also offering grace and mercy if they will just but turn back to God. And also in this book, we're reintroduced to the Babylonians who were ruthless, barbaric people headed up by Nebuchadnezzar. And because of the idolatry of of God's own people, God used the Babylonians to discipline and destroy Jerusalem. And that should make you a touch uncomfortable that God did that. And that's okay to be uncomfortable with what God does sometimes. If you try and explain it away, then all at once you've explained away God instead of struggling with it. The Babylonians were relentless. They were ruthless. They struck Jerusalem over three times over a period of 20 years. That's where you get the Daniel story, the Nebuchadnezzar story, or I mean the Nehemiah story. They captured people. They took them back to Babylon to live in exile for 70 years because God has said there are 70 years determined for you that you're going to live away from our homeland. I'm going to discipline you there. And so this letter that Jeremiah is sharing that God has impressed upon him to write in Jeremiah 29 is written to these people in the midst of these 70 years of exile back in Babylon. And in verse 4, he starts this letter where he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So God refers to Himself with two titles in verse 4. The Lord of hosts is one that it calls it uh, in, I believe it's the King James. Mine, the ESV, says the Lord of hosts also. And this phrase means the Lord of the angel armies or the Lord Almighty, depending on how it's translated. That phrase is used over 90 times in the book of Jeremiah. God calls Himself the Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty. He's Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's the mighty God. And that word is used over 620 times in the book. Jehovah. It's used in that book more than any other book. God wants us to know in this book He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord God. He is the Creator God. He is the Lord of the armies. Can I get an amen for the Lord of the armies? Thank you, my brother. It's funny when I say these strong biblical things and you just sit there like, yeah, all right. Lord of the armies, go on. What else you got for me? Yeah, yeah, he's God. I get it. I get it. He died for me. What else you got? I had to make each and every one of you preach so you know what I'm talking about. And you're going to go, I worked on this for a month and you guys are just sitting there. And I'll make some people yawn and some people look at their watch and you people can have Cheerios in the bags and you can be eating them in front of me and yet never sharing the Cheerios with me. That's the part that really bothers me. I think that's why people have children. 
It's just so they can eat Cheerios and raisins in church. I'm on to your scheme. Now I've lost my place. Thank you. He also calls himself not the Lord of hosts, but the God of Israel, meaning he is in relationship with his people. La gente de Dios. Is that it? La gente? La gente? El gente? La gente? Isn't that a wonderful thing to be part of the people of God? So he uses different phrases to describe his relationship. And he says, I am not just the Lord of hosts, the almighty God who made everything, but I am the God of Israel. You are my people. And so that word is Elohim. And so when he puts these two together, he lets us know he's over everything. It's like Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, very personal, who art in heaven, very strong, very universal. That's what he says here. I am the Lord of hosts. I am the God of Israel. And then he says, I am the one who sent you into exile. That's the part that you should struggle with. That God would take these people that he loves and disciplines them for their, their sins, for hundreds of years of sins, of kings wandering away. And he told them over and over again, I'm going to do this. If you don't repent, this is what's going to happen. He even told them it would be 70 years. There's prophecy that describes it. And he says, I'm the one who did it. I created everything. I am your God. And I'm going to send you away. I'm the one who sent you from Jerusalem to Babylon. He repeats it in verse 7. And in verse 1, we read that Nebuchadnezzar took them into exile. But Nebuchadnezzar was just the instrument that God used. God used ungodly people to do his godly will. That makes no sense. But it doesn't have to make sense in the sense that it's, in the sense that it makes no sense, that it's from God. And those are the struggles that we should have with being the people of God. It's okay to struggle with God and to, uh, and to struggle with what you see and to struggle with decisions that you might have. And when things happen, if everything's cool to you, then you're not thinking. You're just accepting what's before you. Because listen, He's God, and you're not. Those are the two basic rules. And God's train doesn't necessarily run on my tracks. He does what He pleases, not what, he, not what I please. This is also the same book which says, or He says, I am the potter, and you are the clay. His ways are not our ways, and that's okay with that. God will always do, God will not always do what we desire, but God will always do what He decides. So he says some interesting things here. He says, while you're there in exile, where, while you are places where I really don't want you to be, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to sit there and cry about it. I don't want you to sit there and wait 70 years and keep checking your watch for 70 years. While you're there, I want you to build houses. While you're there, I want you to plant gardens. While you're there, I want you to take wives. While you're there, I want you to have children. I want you to seek the welfare of the city where you live. The city where I am sending you. It's not even their home. Because where you are, when you treat the city well, then you will prosper as well. So as we sit here in Pooler or Savannah, we are called to follow a verse like this, which is to make our city prosper. 
We are not called to withdraw and hide out and flee to the mountains and wait for the, end of the time of trouble and the end of times. We are called to be out there in the community where people know who we are. I had a man call me the other day trying to sell us a business card sized thing and a book that goes out to new from the Chamber of Commerce, a book that goes out to new members of the city, an online presence, a phone book kind of thing with a business card sized thing. So I said yes to it. So he says, well, I'll send you a draft of what we're going to put in there. So I said, here's the name of the church, and here's the hours, and here's the phone number, and he sends it to me like, okay, how's this look? So the first time says, Bible study, Saturday, 10 a.m., church, Sunday, 11 a.m. And I'm looking at that thinking, what, you think we go two days a week? So I write him back, and I said, well, you know, you got this, okay, but church, Bible study, 10 a.m., Saturday, yes, Church is 11 a.m. Saturday, same day. He goes, oh, I didn't know. And then he goes, so what's the name of your thing? Seventh-day Advent? I go, no, it's a Seventh-day Adventist church. He goes, oh, you're a church. Like, yeah. Because, see, when you hang out with other people, you think everybody knows us, but then you get out there with real people. Well, not real people, but other people, you know. And, like, not everybody knows don't be surprised at what people say. The Seventh-day Adventist. He goes, hey, how do you spell that? You go, well, the same way you spell Advent, but add on the I-S-T at the end. So I was reminded this week of how our community doesn't always know that. But if you ever see that, you're going to see that soon, a little business card-sized thing in a booklet. Because I had read this verse where it says to prosper the city where you live, the city where I send you. If their welfare improves, so will yours. And that's kind of an amazing thing. God sends them into exile for 70 years to discipline them, but while they are there, they should live and grow and be fully alive. No sitting around moping. No sitting around talking about the way it used to be and the way you wish it was. Deal with the way it is. Back in the 70s, you see, we used to have this thing, we'd say, what it is. See, that's what it is, what it is. You see, I, that's why I was, back then, I was so hip. I wish you guys could have seen me. Oh, man, if I had a picture. I was hipper than hip. I was what it isn't, because that's so important. God calls us to bloom where we are planted. While you are where you are, be the people of God. That's what he's telling them. So he says, settle down, build houses, plant gardens, eat the produce, take wives, have sons, and then saturate yourselves all over there. Seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That's powerful. So when you pull out that verse and say, for I know the plans I have for you, that sounds like he's talking about you. He's not talking about you. He's talking about him. I know he wants me to do what I want to do because I've got the verse that says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope. That's right. Yeah, I wanted to move to Alaska. Yeah, yeah, that's what he's telling me. You see, and he says, seek the welfare of the city where you are. That's an action word. It's active. It's not passive. We are to go out and influence and impact, seeking the city's success and prosperity as well as the people 
around us. And God will fulfill His promises to Himself. And that's why He says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, that's a finished word, when 70 years are completed, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you My promise. And I will bring you back to Me, to this place. 70 years is a long time. Some people don't even live 70 years. Some people went into that exile and never came out. So this wasn't for everybody. This, but this was for the children and the grandchildren, whoever. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plan for welfare, plans not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The word for plans is sometimes traded, translated thoughts or purpose. For I know the thoughts I have for you. God is thinking about us. I know the plans I have for you. And the word you there is plural. So it's not you, it's us. I know the plans I have for you. God says it's planned to give you my hope, his hope, his future. So in other words, this text isn't speaking to you about you. It's speaking about God and how true he is to his own promises that he makes to himself. As you seek God, you will find Him to be exactly as He says He will be. But oftentimes, you know, the things He puts us through, the things that happen, I don't know if He puts us through them or He allows them. I struggle with that whole thing. God's will that He creates and God's will that He allows, that whole thing, I don't know. Things happen and you've got to struggle with it. Why did this happen? But God's desire for His people is good. It says, I know the plans for you to give you welfare. That word is shalom. That's godly peace. So then He says, you will call upon Me, and you will come, and you will pray to Me, and I will hear you. We should seek Him. We should find Him. We should pray, and He will hear us. That's our response to the divine promise of God. God calls we trust, we li- well, we listen, we trust, we respond. But the call of God has to be from a faithful God. See, so the faith that you have, the saving faith, is not your faith. It's His faith being faithful. You can have faith in lots of things, and if they're not faithful, then you have wasted your faith. If you say to me, hold my wallet, while I go somewhere, and you hand me my, your wallet full of money, and if I'm not trustworthy or faithful, then I'm going to take your money and leave you with an empty wallet. Because I wasn't faith. You might have had a lot of faith in me, but if I wasn't faithful, it doesn't matter how much faith you have in me. So we look to God and we see that He is faithful. We serve a faithful God. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. Can this side say amen? Can this side say amen? Well, you're not a side, you're a middle. Can this side say amen? Can all of God's people say amen? Amen. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I know that He is with me, thank you, no matter something. I don't know. Because when you call upon Him, and you come and pray to me, I will hear you. One of my other verses in Jeremiah that I love, thir- Jeremiah 33, 3, and I like that one because I only have to remember one number, 3. 33, 3 says, Call to me, 
and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. So if you want to find hidden things, if you want to find things that you don't know, godly things, and call on God. I like that one. So I'll leave you with this question, something to ponder. When he says, I will be found by you, and I will restore your fortunes, and I will gather you from all the nations, all the places that I have driven you, I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you. I need to ask you if you are seeking this God who is full of promise. If you are seeking this God who is faithful, because he reveals to us, I know, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. And these plans are his plans. They're not your plans, they're his plans. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. And as your will aligns with his will, you can read that verse and say, that's for me. So it's not about what you want to do and God blessing it. It's about getting in step with God. And as you get in step with God, what God wants for you is what you want for you. And then all at once you're in the center of his will and great things happen. But we often say, God, bless me as I do what I want to do. That's the easy thing to do. I do it a lot. I do it without even thinking. Bless me as I go do what I want to do. Instead of submitting my will to him. Because I know the plans I have for you, he says. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you future. This passage isn't about you getting what you want. It's about God's will being done. It's about God being faithful and true to himself and God fulfilling his own promises. It's about him saying, return to me. Follow me. I won't let you down. So my question again is, that, is are you seeking that God? That God who is faithful? I pray you are. I pray I am. God bless us as we seek this faithful God. You see, and that's how we get hope in the dark, the dark moments of your life, the sad moments, the lonely moments, the great moments, is to realize that it is sweet to trust in a Savior who is faithful. And that's what the Christian life is all about. So bless you. If your faith is weak, that's okay. If your faith is strong, praise the Lord for that. God bless you this week. On a totally separate side note, Someone donated like about 30 volumes of volume one of the Bible story out there. The blue ones, there's 10 volumes. Somebody donated, donated like 30 of volume one. So if you want a volume one of the Bible story, they're out there. Please take one so I don't need to find them homes. Find them homes for me. Miss Cat, thank you for making our service so memorable today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings that come from trusting in Jesus. It is sweet. It's sweet to have the Holy Spirit as our companion, as our advocate, the one who leads us. And even while we might live in exile like Babylon or we're in the dark or we're lonely or we're puzzled or we're questioning or we're in pain, we know that you have plans for us, plans to give us hope in a future. You know the plans you have. And Lord, may we come to learn what those plans are. May we serve you while we live wherever we might be. May we bloom and grow where we are planted. Thank you for this church. Bless us as we serve you in this community. May our territory be enlarged. May you use us to spread the gospel through the school, through the church, 
through pathfinders, through the radio, all these things do to, for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.